Well, thank you, Alan, and thank you, you guys, for allowing me, not that you really had a choice, but to, uh, to come out and talk tonight. For those of you who don't, I, there's a lot of faces that I don't recognize, so hello. As Alan has said, my name is Patty, and it's my pleasure, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to be here speaking with you guys tonight. So some of you may have heard my testimony a couple of Wednesday nights ago, but it was real quick, so I only had 10 minutes. So tonight, we're going to get a little bit more detailed, and um, I'll have more time to talk about some things. So I have it written down so I don't miss anything, because I really want you guys to grasp what the Lord wants to speak to your hearts tonight. Not about what I've gone through or what I've done, but it's, it's really about the Lord. So I'm 47 years old which means I was born in 1966. And now when some of you think of 1966, you might think about hippies, free love, sometimes called the sexual revolution, drugs like LSD, or even Woodstock. Some of you might equate 1966 with the beginning of the Jesus movement that we've heard a lot about lately, especially since Pastor Chuck's passing. Both of these are true. However, a lot of what was going on in America at that time didn't really have too much to do with either one of these events. Life in general was pretty simple and plain. In most homes, dad went out to work all day and mom stayed home raising the kids. There was no such thing as playdates, and many families only had one car, so dad used that car to go out and get to work. And this meant mom stayed at home and the kids, I'm sorry, mom stayed at home with the kids and the friends that you had were the neighborhood kids. And it was like that for me too. The neighborhood that I grew up in, there was eight kids all within like a four house area of of my house. We were a pretty tight knit group until we were about 12 years old. There were seven boys and me. From the earliest I can remember, I thought I was one of the boys. I dressed the same, I walked the same, I talked the same, I played as rough as they did and excelled at sports even more so than most of them. At around eight years old, I remember becoming very confused about my gender. I truly thought I was a boy, but my body parts told me otherwise. Not only did this make me confused, it made me angry. Why couldn't I be a boy? Why did I have to be stuck in this girl's body? That wasn't the only thing I was confused about. Inside my home, behind closed doors that nobody else could see except me, I watched my parents fight and argue like cats and dogs. Nothing my father did seemed right in my mother's eyes. She questioned everything he did. She always criticized him. Likewise, my father always degraded my mother. He would tell her that she was worthless, crazy, stupid, and useless. I don't have any memory of them saying anything nice to each other or being passionate towards one another. I never saw them kiss. I wondered why they were together. In my little eight-year-old mind, I thought, is this what marriage is? If so, I want nothing to do with it when I get older. Watching my mother be torn down like that just fueled my desire to be a boy. It made me think girls were weak, worthless, and useless. And that was not the only thing that made me think girls were worthless. When I was even younger than this, I was sexually abused. In my little girl mind, I thought, that's just what happens to girls. They get used for that. It was just another reason I was confused about my gender and was angry. 
I thought for sure stuff like that never happened to boys. Therefore, I thought I could protect myself by being a boy. By the time I was 10 or 11 years old, I was already having fantasies about girls. I would wonder what it would be like to have her be the mommy and me be the daddy. By the time I got to junior high and I was hitting puberty, my fantasies became sexual. Again, we have to remember this is in the 1970s and it was absolutely nowhere for me to go and talk about this. I didn't go to church, but even if I did, this was something the church didn't talk about. <clears throat> Excuse me. I felt isolated and alone. So at the age of 12, I started drinking, and by the time I was 13, I was doing drugs. I would come home drunk and would oftentimes throw up. My mother would clean it up, and we wouldn't really talk about it the next day. I was never disciplined for my behavior. Deep inside, I felt like I wasn't loved. After all, I thought, if I was loved, wouldn't they have told me to stop? The, drugs and alcohol, the drug and alcohol abuse grew, and by the time I was 17 years old, I had done over 30 hits of LSD, smoked marijuana, mushrooms, cocaine, uppers, downers, and drank almost every night of the week. I say this only to let you know that my brain was fried. I didn't want to have any sober thoughts. If I was sober, then I would remember the things that caused me the pain and the sadness. As soon as I graduated high school, my older sister grabbed me and brought me to Florida li to live with her. Shortly after getting settled in there, I was at a party and this guy asked me out on a date. To my surprise, I said yes. Even though I was messing around sexually, I had never dated a boy. I thought maybe if I started dating, it would take away my desire to be with the other girls. After a very short season of dating this guy, we ended up getting married. I was 19 years old, and he was 26. So much for the promise I made in my eight-year-old heart that I would never get married. Not long into the marriage, he became physically abusive. He had a lot of anger issues as well. You see, he was sexually abused as a child also. So after being in this marriage for sev seven years, I filed for a divorce. At this point in my life, I was as confused as ever. I gave the whole being straight thing a shot, and I saw it as a complete failure. I moved up to New Jersey and fully came out as a lesbian. I was drinking and partying like crazy. I had many one-night stands with other women and a few short-term relationships. As fun as I thought this was going to be, I found it empty as well. I wanted someone to spend the rest of my life with. I wanted to fall in love. I thought I found that someone in the late 1990s. We thought we were madly in love with each other. We were inseparable. She was beautiful and an athlete, just what I always wanted. So we got a house and lived together for about four years. Both of us had a sense of wanting to become more spiritual. We were reading different books on reincarnation and about different types of religions. Neither one of us really wanted to have anything to do with Christianity, though. When we would go to the gay pride, parade, gay pride parades, we would see Christians holding up signs that said things like, God hates fags, and LEV 18 colon 22, you know, like we're going to know what that means, and God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Needless to say, this did not make us feel good about their God. But what I didn't know was God was bigger than them and their signs. 
And this is the exciting part about my testimony, because now we get to talk about God. In December of 2001, my only brother Larry was diagnosed with lung cancer. Larry's neighbor across the street would come over every day after he got off work to visit my brother and tell him about Jesus. Within weeks, my brother gave his heart to the Lord. He was the first in my family to get saved. Even though the cancer in his body was causing him to die, the Jesus in his heart brought him to life. I saw this new life in my brother, but I didn't understand it. I didn't know what to make of it, so I stored it in the recesses of my heart. Then, on October 22, 2002, on my brother's 48th birthday, as I was holding his hand in the hospital, he took his last breath. I knew at that very moment that he died and went to heaven, and if I were to die right then, I would not. His death devastated me. My girlfriend did her best at trying to comfort me, but without Jesus, that was impossible. A few weeks after Larry's death, I rolled over in bed and asked my girlfriend a very difficult question. I was afraid to ask her because I thought she might get mad at me and want to break up with me, but I asked her anyways. I said, do you think the way we're living is wrong? And her response was, I can't believe you just asked me that. I was going to ask you the same thing. We were both shocked. Right there in our bedroom, we got down on our knees and prayed and said, God, if you're real, will you show us? And if the way we're living is wrong, show us. We decided we should find a Bible and found one in a box in the attic. We had no idea where to look, so we just opened up the Bible. And as God would have it, we opened it up to Leviticus, L-E-V, chapter 18, and our eyes fell on verse 22, which reads, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. We were stunned. At that moment, we believed God was real and that he had spoken directly to us. We wanted to know if the Bible said anything about women being together, so my girlfriend asked a lady she worked with that was a Christian, and she told us to go to the book of Romans and read chapter 1. We did that, and when we got to verse 26 and 27, it said, For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Again, we knew God had spoken directly to our hearts. We knew we had to find a church. We eventually found CCOB and came and sat toward the back. I had never heard worship music before in my life. Once the music started playing, my heart was ripped wide open and I started crying. The songs were talking about God's holiness and his love for me. I didn't think God could love me though. I was too dirty. I had done too many bad things and I was a lesbian. God was moving in my heart though to tell me that that was not true. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and while that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So on January 19, 2003, right here at this church, I prayed to ask God to forgive me of my sins and for Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I felt the weight of the world being lifted off my shoulders the very moment I prayed that prayer. I was so excited to be his 
right away I knew that his love was greater than any love I could get from another person. I had no clue about Christianity or what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I wanted, I wanted to know all I could about God, so I started devouring the Bible. I read it every chance I got. I realized the Bible was true and it held all the answers to any questions I'd ever, ha- I'd ever had, and I had a lot. Psalm 119 talks a lot about God's word. Verse 9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Verse 28, My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 50, This is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. Verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 82, my eyes fail from searching your word, saying, when will you comfort me? Verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Verse 130, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth. Verse 169, let my cry come before you, O Lord, and give me understanding according to your word. And I just want to encourage you guys that if you want to have an intimate relationship with God, you have to be in his word. Like I just read, his word gives us life. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You guys, Jesus is the word. You cannot separate the two. So shortly after getting saved, the Lord in his gentleness showed me that I had to move out of the house. This was a bit scary for me, but God had shown me that I could trust him completely. My ex understood too, because she, see, she had given her heart to the Lord as well. God has been growing me and sanctifying me in him ever since. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What I'm really hoping for you guys to grasp from my testimony is that God is bigger than our sin. There is nothing that you have thought, fantasized about, acted on, or even worried about doing in the future that will keep God from loving you. His love is bigger than our sin. When you are tempted or sinning, don't run from him. Run to him. And don't think that you can run away from him. He loves you too much. If you guys would go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And while you're going there, I'm going to read a verse out of 2 Samuel 14. And uh, so if you could listen as you're searching for, once again, Luke chapter 15. And I really want you guys to hear this verse, so if, you could, if I could have your attention. 2 Samuel 14, 14 says, in the New King James Version, Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. And the Holman Christian Standard Bible says it this way, but God would not take away a life. 
He would devise plans so that the one banished from him does not remain banished. God has no interest in taking away your life. On the contrary, he wants to give you life. But make no mistake, if you run from him, he will devise means to bring you back into his arms of love, whatever it takes, even sorrow. So in Luke chapter 15, if you turn to verse 11, I'm just going to read through 24. It says, Then he, Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, Ugh, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, oh, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be, called by, to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. We see in verse 12, that the son wants to go live on his own, so his father lets him. In verse 13, the son grabs all his stuff, leaves, and starts to live recklessly, which is what prodigal means. In verse 14, the son blew through all his money, and then came the famine. Remember, from 2 Samuel 14, 14, God will devise a means to bring the banished one back to him. God allowed this son to experience famine because he knew it would bring him back to his father. And God will do that for you too because he loves you. But look at how bad it got for this son. In verses 15 and 16, we see that the son ended up having to work in fields feeding pigs and was so hungry he was hoping to eat the pig's food. In verse 17... The son remembers how nice it was being with his father and with the others that his father takes care of. In verse 20, when the son came back to his father, his father had compassion for him and didn't yell at him, but was waiting for him with open arms, just as God will do with you if you have gone astray. God will never be mad at you for wanting to come back to him. He will do whatever it takes to draw you back to his love. Devise any means allow famine just to get you back to him where love dwells. So guys, trust him before you go out and taste the things of the world. 
before you go out and find yourself in a pigsty and starving. Because pigsty and starving is exactly what the world will give you. So don't be deceived. So if any of you are struggling with same-sex attraction or gender identity issues, first and foremost, please know God doesn't hate you. He loves you. He understands exactly what you're going through, the hurts you've experienced, and the sorrow and confusion you feel. He doesn't want you to run away from him like the son in the story we just read. He wants you to run to him and allow you to and let you allow him and trust him to heal you in the hurting places. And as I'm sure you guys hear every Friday night, there are leaders here to talk with you and pray with you. Don't be afraid to talk with them and um, let them encourage you. They're here for you. They're here because they love you. So that's my story. Thank you for letting me share about God's redemption and his big arm. And I think Alan might do a time of Q&A. So thank you guys. Awesome to see what the Lord has done, what the Lord continues to do. Mm-hmm. And I think the cool thing about this is it doesn't just have to be one person, but God really isn't willing that any should perish, but that all would um, all would be drawn to Him. And this mic does not work. No, I can fix it. It's good. all would come to repentance. So I think I just had to hold this mic very carefully. But, um, I hate this mic so much. Okay. Hello. I think it's, okay, it's working. All right, so I have some questions, um, but I want to give you guys an opportunity to ask some questions as well. So does anyone, before I get into some of the questions that I've wrote down, um, don't be shy. This is, maybe it's a question that you have yourself or a question that you have for someone else, for someone else, or maybe someone uh, would ask you a question and you don't know how to answer it. So just raise your hand, anyone, regarding um, what she spoke about so far. Yes, Nick, nice and loud, please. A couple? He asked, how would you evangelize to someone that's in a relationship or just people? Okay, well, how would you evangelize to a couple that's together, and how would you evangelize to anyone in this lifestyle? Um, what I always tell every, everyone is the same way I would evangelize to someone that's not living homosexually. <laughs> tell them about Jesus, because it's not about whether you're gay or straight or you know, from Africa or from India or from Wisconsin, it's, it's, that makes it too much about us. The story is about God and his redemption. And um, if you're ministering to, or talking, sharing with someone and they keep bringing it back to, but what does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does it say about homosexuality? You might just gently say to them, do you want to talk about 
homosexuality or do you want to talk about Jesus? Because I know a lot more about Jesus than I do about homosexuality. And, you know, maybe you can enlighten me on homosexuality, tell me about your story, and I can tell you about the story of Jesus Christ. If that makes sense. Anyone else? Next question. Jeffrey. Um, yes, if you guys want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First, oh, the, I'm sorry, the question was, is there anywhere in the Bible that talks about homosexuality? So I read you Leviticus 18.22, and I read you Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, but if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, we can read a couple of things there. Um, so, uh, and, and when Paul was writing to those in Corinth, he was, they're, they're letters of correction because they were Christians, but they were still living carnally. So, um, um, let's go, let's start with verse 9. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11 is, is the better part of that verse. And such were some of you. And you can't, I mean, were means that... I mean, obviously, you guys are better schooled than I am, probably. Were means that's something that you once were, which means you no longer are now. So it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So what that, what that indicates is that, you know, verse um, 9 and 10 talks about what you were, and verse 11 talks about what you are now in the Lord. Sanctified, justified, washed clean. Um, it was Leviticus 18, verse 22, and Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, but all of chapter 1 is good. I mean, it just all ties in together. Any other questions? Yes, It's stupid not to agree with homosexual marriage. Um, can, you, can you repeat that question for the? I'm sorry. She okay. asked, um, "What do you say to someone who says it's stupid not to agree with homosexual marriage?" Um, the being approached like that, that person wants to be. They want to fight. They want to argue, and um, it's it's hard to defuse someone that's so angry, um, and hopefully I can answer that question, but let me first say, if, if that person is talking from their own heart, um, usually anger is derived from, from pain. Um, I know when I, I get angry, oftentimes I realize that I'm angry because I'm hurting. So um, if these people are coming at you and they seem angry like they want to have a fight, understand that that's probably being derived from sorrow and pain in their heart, so we obviously want to have compassion on them. But, um, 
you know, things are, have gotten so political with, I, I, I don't really see anywhere in the Bible where Jesus talks politics, so I try to stay away from politics as well. But I know you guys want answers of what to do with, with the kids in school. Um, stupid not to believe in gay marriage, then, you know, I would just say, then call me stupid. Um, I, I believe what I believe because the Lord has written his word on my heart. And just as you're following your heart, I'm going to follow mine. Does that help? Sorry if it... Oh, do you want to share? No, we're good. My breast's not that bad. I don't think I've gunked it up too bad. Anybody else have a question? Yes, honey. Um, That's a good question. Yeah, it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, this young lady says that at their school they have a day where everyone wears a purple shirt in honor, I guess you could say, of gay marriage, and she wants to know what to do and how to talk about why she herself is not wearing a purple shirt. Did I get that right? Okay. Um, well, actually, it's an open door for the gospel, and I know that we want to go out there and share the gospel in love, but sometimes, I mean, the Lord rise, calls us to rise up and, and do and say some hard things. And, you know, it's, it's not just high school that it's a scary thing to, to come against, you know, peers and, and, and those who want to contradict what we say. It's, it's like that, and, you know, when we go to work and in the office, too, it's just as scary. So I understand. But it's actually, what if you would look at it as God saying, what's your name? Lee, I'm going to give you a gift today. I'm going to set this day apart special for my people so people will recognize that there's something different about them and give you an opportunity to share of my love and who I am. So instead of looking at it as maybe an uncomfortable thing, you could look at it as a gift from God saying, now I get to share who Jesus is. And to keep them from, from fighting or arguing with you or not understanding where you're coming from, you could just say, you know what? I don't, I don't support gay marriage because from what I've learned from, you know, the God that I follow, he's not for it. And whatever he's not for, I'm not for. But I want to let you know that I love and support you as who you are as a person. I value who you are. There are things in my life that I do that you might not agree with. You might not agree with the way I did my hair today. You might not agree with the shoes I have on. You might not agree with, you know, the way I pray before I eat. But I still would hope that you would value me as a person just as I value you, even though I don't believe in some of the things that you believe in. It's people want to know that they're valued. Um, I was sharing with the leaders the other night that we toss the word love around so easily, like, you know, yeah, I love you. Oh, I love you. I love Big Macs, and I love this, and I love... Diet Coke, and it's going to kill me someday, but, um, but so when we tell people that we love them, it might unfortunately kind of bounce off them, but if we tell them, if we look them in the eye and tell them that we value them, that's going to that's gonna touch their heart. All right, Was I'm that helpful? Gonna, I'm okay. going to ask a couple questions. Why do Christians care about this issue so much if it makes others happy? That's a typical question you might get from a student. So, say it again, please. 
why do Christians care about this issue of homosexuality so much if it makes others happy? In other words, it's not any of your business. I would say the reason Christians are talking about the subject so much is because those in the homosexual community are bringing it up. Um, it wasn't really a topic of conversation before, um, you know, the, the gay marriage and, and all these. So um, it's important to us because the things of God are important to us. And, and again, I would always direct people to say, you know, that's one small part of the Bible. There is a whole huge gazillion more things about the Lord in the Bible that if you want to talk about that, I would love to talk about that. But if you want to talk about homosexuality, I've never dealt with those issues, so I don't know what you are feeling or anybody else is feeling, um, what you believe to be true and what you don't believe to be true. When you were five, did you fully understand what you were feeling or did you not come into realization that you were gay until you were 16? I don't understand that. I'm sorry that I don't understand that. If you want to fill me in and sit down, we'll have coffee sometime and you can tell me, tell me your whole life story. I'd love to listen. And then that's what you can go home and pray for them for. But say, but, but if you want to sit and talk about the Lord, you know, ask, ask me questions about him. I'd love to sit and tell you about him because there's so much more to God than the homosexual question. <laughs> but that is a hot-button topic, so. What do you say to those who are struggling with those temptations? Um, a lot of what, what I said tonight is the Lord sees what you're going through. There's nothing hidden from him. So you don't have to, to hide your feelings, express them to God. Um, ask him. I've had a lot of people come to me and say, I've prayed a thousand times over, God, will you please take these feelings away from me? Especially Christians. Please, God, take these feelings away. Take them away. And they, they say, you know, he doesn't take them away. I don't understand that. And the way I respond to them is I tell them, instead of asking God to take the feelings away, why don't you ask him why they were there in the first place? Spend some time with the Lord and say, God, why do I feel like this? Why, when I was five years old, do I remember liking the little boy down the street or the little girl down the street? And the Lord's going to open up um, intense conversation with you about why, but you have to be willing to sit with the Lord and, and allow him to wash over you with his Holy Spirit and with his word. And if you want answers, you're going to have to spend time with him. You can't, you know, as, as you're jumping on the bus or whatever, say, hey, can you tell me why I have these feelings? And then, you know, expect a lightning bolt to come down. You, you have to spend some, some time with him and, you know, ask him, where did they derive from? You know, was I deceived by neighborhood kids? Did, is the media deceiving me? Did you make me born gay? And, and he's, I promise you, he's, he's going to answer those questions for you. Um, Jesus loves, the Lord loves questions. He loves when we come to him and ask him questions. He's, he's a father. He wants that time with us. If that Amen. helped. Um, can those struggling with homosexuality ever rid themselves of same-sex attraction? I believe, wait, say that again, because I want to make sure I answer rightly. Can those struggling with homosexuality ever rid themselves of same-sex attraction? I believe so, yes. There's different ministries out there that say, well, you know, you can, you can stop the act, but you might always be attracted to the same sex in one, one 
facet or another. And for some people, that is the case. But for me, I believe when Jesus heals, he heals completely. Um, I was just sharing this with a friend. I can't remember who today or yesterday. But when we read the story about when Jesus was in the synagogue on, on a Sabbath day, and he asked the man with the withered hand to stretch out his hand, and Jesus was going to heal him. He healed the whole hand. Jesus didn't heal just a couple of fingers. He healed the whole hand. And when Jesus told the man that was paralyzed to take up his mat and walk, he healed both of his legs. He didn't just heal one leg. And when Jesus went to the blind man and told him that he's now going to be able to see he didn't give him sight in one eye. He gave him sight in both eyes. When Jesus heals, he heals completely. That's my belief. Amen. Um, could you speak a little bit more about when you said it is an abomination in Leviticus? Yes. Leviticus 18, uh, 18.22 says, I want to make sure I quote it correctly. Let me turn there. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, actually the signs um, that I saw and in the the feeling that I got from Christians not that I really hung out with them when I was in the lifestyle but I felt like they were telling me that I was the abomination and that God hated me which is pretty much what a sign that says God hates fags you know what are you going to be what are you going to lead to think to believe if if you see a sign that says God hates fags it's just not like I bet you the Lord loves me you know so but um it's so unfortunate. I, I, my ministry, I like to talk to Christians about homosexuality a lot more than, not a lot more, but um, never mind. I have a burden for Christians who don't know how to minister um, in a way of love to those who are struggling. But So Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. It doesn't say they are an abomination. It says it, meaning the act. Jesus, we're his created, creation. He, we are created in his image. He's not going to call us an abomination. That would be against him and his name and his character. The act of lying with the same sex, the act is an abomination. And it can be given over to him. All of our actions can be changed and um, dealt with by the Lord. I used to, I wasn't just a homosexual. I was a drinker. I was a cursor. I was a liar. I was angry. I cheated. I stole. Homosexuality was just part of the many things that I did. But, and, and so even in that, he loved me. He valued me. And he, he gave me a new character. He gave me his character. But the acts that I was doing, he, you know, especially when it's against yourself, any sexual act um, goes against God and his best for us. But yes, this verse specifically says that it is an abomination, not they. Right. Any, any questions? Yes. Joe. Um, it depends on the setting and the person, if they're angry and argumentative, I would um, let them come to you, which they might, they might not, um, but, but listen to them, watch them, listen to their conversations, because then you can hear how to, how to pray for them. But um, if they're a softer person, if they're less combative, and you've already built a relationship with them, then, 
you know, ask the Lord to lead you on how to start that conversation. But I wouldn't start it off with homosexuality. I would just start it off by sharing the Lord with them like you would anybody else. Absolutely, absolutely, because they probably don't feel love from anywhere except the gay community. I, I felt love, what I thought to be love, um, for the first time once I entered into the gay community, because that's the first time I felt acceptance, that's the first time I felt normal. Um, but really what it was is we were all just super, super needy people sucking the life out of each other because we were we all had very similar needs and we were trying to get it fulfilled through other people which people can never fulfill the needs that you have only only god can right did Amen. that help joe okay any other student first okay. i want to get to students questions i forget your name i'm sorry joe okay I would, I would go up to him if you're comfortable and saying, and let it be true, you know, ha have a time where you're getting together with some of your guys and say, hey, Joshua, I'm getting together with a couple of my friends um, Friday night, and I'm just asking people how I can pray for them, so I wanted to make sure I didn't leave you out. How can I pray for you, Joshua? And I, ju I just want to let you know that we're going to be on our face praying, and is there anything that you want me to pray for you for? And it'll... Even though his heart is hard and it might be like a rock, there's a little tiny chisel that's going to come off because he realizes somebody cares. Anyone else? Yes, sir. So how do you tell Christians not to be... Oh. The first thing you can do 